way to the book of Matthew, let me ask you to just uh, make a little pit stop there in the book of Ruth. So stop there in uh, Ruth chapter 1, and if you don't have a Bible, let me invite you to grab one there underneath your seat, and you can find that on page 295. If I'm correct, Ruth is the eighth book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, that's right, eighth book. And then when you find your way there to Ruth chapter 1, let me ask you to take your bulletin, slot it right there in that book, and then uh, make your way over to the first book of the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew, because we're going to look at these two particular passages this morning. Ruth, and then as you put your bulletin there, then turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and that is on page 1092 of the Bible there, and the uh, underneath your seat. Now, as you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 1, I would like to invite you to stand. Uh, I do this every, every Sunday in Ohio. love to stand as we read God's Word together. The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab was the father of Nashon, and Nashon was the father of Salmon, and Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, the king. Let me ask you to have a seat, and as you're having a seat, let me just say to you that if you and I were to write a bestseller, I doubt very seriously that you and I would open up our story, our novel with the genealogy. Not too exciting when you read the list of names here in chapter 1. If you're like me, when you do your daily reading and you come to a portion of Scripture like this, you're like, "Uh, let's get to something a little bit more entertaining just reading these names. But I'm so thankful that uh, our pastor has realized that uh, even a genealogy as this is extremely important. And so we need to take a deeper look at what being read here. But it's not. It's not very exciting, the genealogy. And then to throw in on top of that, you have these names that are very hard to pronounce. And then we don't even know most of them about their lives, their stories, or anything about them. I think it'd be a lot more exciting to read a phone book than a genealogy. But all Scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, for correction.
correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And that's why it's here. It's for us. You see, maybe not to us, but definitely to the audience that Matthew is writing to, genealogies were extremely important. The German scholar Joachim Jeremias noted that uh, genealogies were extremely important for preserving the Jewish heritage. He notes that uh, for a priest to obtain the position in a priesthood in the temple, they had to show through records their lineage and their family and their bloodline within the priesthood. If a priest was unable to show that his family, that he was in the bloodline of the priest's lineage, he lost all rights and privileges as a priest. They were very important in these days. They were used to settle disputes over possessions and even over land. But that's not the reason why Matthew gives us a genealogy. There's one particular focus that Matthew has in mind when he gives us this genealogy. And it's this, that if you want to be king of Israel, you had to prove through a genealogy that you were in the blood royal bloodline of King David himself. And that's why Matthew tells us this. That's why he starts out right out of the chute in verse 1, talking about the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. And so he lists these names because he's wanting to show his audience that Jesus is the rightful heir to the kingship, to the royal Davidic line and throne. But if you were a Jew and you were reading these list of names, there are a few names that uh, would really make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Matthew does something that uh, genealogies never did. Never mentioned women. And in this genealogy, he mentions five of them. Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, Bathsheba, even though her name is not mentioned, and Mary. To a Jew, this, this would be skeletons in the closet. Uh, several years ago, my uh, brother, youngest brother Doug, decided to do a little of investigation. Actually, it was a long time ago because now you could check out your genealogy on the Internet. You could have people help you find where your name and your background and your family came from. Well, before all of that, the Internet helped you with those things. You had to go down to the courthouse and find records and look, investigate. So my brother... As he was doing his investigation, he found himself down at the courthouse in Charleston, South Carolina, perusing some records, finding out about where our family came from. He came back and uh, he mentioned to us that he sort of ran into a dead end. He couldn't find out anything more about our family, and so he sort of just dropped the ball. He never did do any more investigation or research or looking in after it. I can, even to this day, my mom always says, you know what happened? We found some skeletons in our closet. 
that you know. You see, that's probably what would have happened if any other Jew would have written this. Actually, if Matthew was not inspired by God himself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to record these words, he may have left out these names. But I'm so thankful that God is so good. Because God says through Paul in Romans 15 that the things that were written of the earlier times were given to us so that through perseverance and encouragement, we may find hope. Hope. And that's why these names are in here. And that's why this series is rightfully titled Christmas Through Her Eyes. Because what I want us to do, as we make our way to Ruth, I would like to say to you, if Ruth was here this morning, I wonder what she would say to you. Do you need hope this morning? Is there some of you sitting here that you just need a shot, an injection of hope just to get you through the next week or two? Definitely through the stress. I think if Ruth was here, I think there would be three things, three lessons that I think she would say to you to help you get through this Christmas season. So make your way there to Ruth, and before I actually give you the lessons, I want to give you three words that I want to use as pegs, really. Pegs to sort of uh, hang our thoughts on. So make your way there back to where that bulletin is inserted in the book of Ruth, and I want you to jot down on the back of your bulletin these three words that we'll use to develop as we go through these points. The three words are these. Presence. By the way, that's with the C-E. I know you're thinking Christmas presence with a T-S, but I'm talking about God's presence with a C-E. Presence, prov- uh, provision, providence. Those are the three words that I want us to use as we unpack, when we develop this story, to help us understand what God is doing in and through our lives. Presence, provision, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife, Naomi. The name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah, not the TV guru Oprah, but Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth, and they lived there for ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. 
Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return to the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. Drop down to verse 14. Verse 12. Verse 11. I'll get there. Verse 11. And Naomi said to them, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is too hard for me than for you. For the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Oprah, Oprah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Watch Naomi's response, I mean Ruth's response. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. For there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me. And worse, if anything, but death parts from you. You know what? If Ruth was here this morning, you know what's the first lesson that I think that she would give to us? It's this. In the midst of your trial, God is always near. Always near. You know what I love about this story? Is it connects with you and me on so many levels. And more for those that have experienced death on such a personal level. There are two pieces of information that really stand out to us when we read these verses that are sort of the backdrop of the story. The first, both of them are found in verse 1. The first is this, is that this happened and occurred during the days when the judges governed. Now, I don't need to tell you what that was like, right? Because Pastor Justin has been taking you through a series of the book of Judges for the last couple of weeks. Very dark period of Israel. They're at the bottom of the barrel, spiritually speaking. They're in this continual cycle of rebellion and sin. So here, that is where the context of this story resides. And in the same verse, we know that there was a famine that took place. Now, famines occur when there's a lack of rain. So therefore, the land and the crops dry up. Hunger strikes. But Deuteronomy tells us there's another reason why a famine occurs in the land of Israel. God says, as long as you obey me, Israel, as long as you follow my commands, I'll bless you, and I'll make sure your crops are in abundance. But the moment you disobey, the moment that you refuse to follow me, I will stop the rain. 
will perish. And so this is sort of the backdrop of where this story lands. And, 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 and even though many scholars fought Elimelech, they would wonder why he would leave his country. I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know if I wouldn't do the same thing if I was in the shoes. I'd take my family to Kalamazoo if they were hungry. And I knew that there was food there. Whether he was right or not, he chooses to take his family to Moab on the other side of the Jordan River, modern-day Jordan. And it's there where tragedy strikes. Limelech dies. The two sons marry Moabite women, and then they too become, uh, uh, means uh, pleasant, ha- has now felt the hand of God on her life, and she begins to become bitter. L- look at verse uh, 20, whenever they arrive back in Bethlehem. She said to them, that is the, the people that greeted and meeted them when they returned back to Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi, Naomi which means pleasant, but call me Mara, bitter. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Some of you know the pain that Naomi is experiencing. You know what it's like to walk in her sandals. You know what it's like when tragedy hits, when there's a death of a close loved one or or some tragedy that happens in the family and you look up the heavens and you ask, God, why? Where are you in this? Why'd you allow this to happen to me? You shed tears. You've pled with God. You've begged Him. Why? I feel like the the doors of heaven are just shut tight. And, And this is a Jewish woman. I wish you had an opportunity to, uh, Also known to my children as Mimi. Bubbly personality. Full of life, vitality. Oh, you would love her if you see That is until maybe a couple of years ago. When her family began to realize that her mind has been deteriorating. We have begun to watch struggle with what we believe in now the beginning stages of all Because of that, her sons uh, came to her and required that, uh, told her that she needed to turn in her driver's license to hand over the keys to the car because they were just afraid that something bad tragic was going to happen. My mom spends a lot of time with her. She usually visits uh, 
once or twice a week, she'll go over to her house and clean up and takes her out to Chick-fil-A. She loves Chick-fil-A. She'll take her out to Chick-fil-A every Wednesday, drop her off because my mom hates Chick-fil-A. She says, I don't even know why I want to be around all them people and especially those kids, but my Aunt Ethel loves it. She'll stay out there for hours. One day, a couple of months ago, my mom pulled up into the driveway to go pick up my aunt. Out of the door, and she had this nice outfit on. Her hair just looked so nice. And my mom was just watching her. She was coming down the steps and coming out to the car. And she got into the car and she looked at Aunt Ethel or Ethel and she said, um, Am I taking to the uniform? And Ethel smiled. My mom was like, Ethel, you don't have a driver's license. What you going to do? <laughs> what you going to do if your sons find out? Somebody says they saw you driving around in the car. My aunt says, I'll tell them it wasn't me. It must have been someone who looked like me. But she told my mom, she said, it was the best. You know, when I talk to her, every, about, about every couple of weeks, I'll give her a call. She tells me, she says, Don, I, I'm lonely. I don't have a car. I don't have anywhere to go. No one rarely, any, does anyone rarely come and see me? She says, that's the only company I have are these neighbor's cats that have to come up on the front of the porch. She says, my husband Fulton has died. My oldest son, uh, Fulton Jr., has died, and I'm here alone. And I, I don't know why God still keeps me here. You know what I told her? I said, Aunt Ethel, I said, I don't know the answer to that. I can't tell you the answer to that. But I do know this. That I remember when I was in a men's group in Dallas, Texas, sitting under the teaching of Tony Evans. I'll never forget one statement that he said, and it was this. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's still. And David says this, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? If I ascend up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed down in Sheol, guess what? You're there and anywhere in between. And I can tell you this, Aunt Ethel, God is there. And don't you forget that in the midst of your trials. Isn't that what Matthew says after he gave the genealogy in chapter 1? I love it. After the genealogy, he comes to where he quotes an Old Testament 
scripture out of the book of Isaiah where he says that a virgin shall be with child, and that and that child will be named Emmanuel, which translated means. And if Ruth was here, the very first thing she would say to you is that no matter what you're facing this Christmas, no matter what trials you find yourself in, don't you ever forget who is there with you. Here's the second thing that I think Ruth would tell you and I if she was here with us this morning. And I better hurry up. In your times of need, God always Very quickly, let's look at chapter 2. They return back to Bethlehem, and, and, and right there in verse 1 of chapter 2, we have this ray of hope. There's something that, that the, uh, the writer gives to us to show us that God is there, and He is going to provide. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she, I love the Hebrew, chanced. Upon a chance is the actual translation. She just happened to stumble into the field of Boaz. We know that's not true. She didn't just happen to stumble into the land of Boaz. I love it. She just happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Because God sees a need and he provides. And the way he did that was what, what the Old Testament uh, refers to as the law of gleaning. And that is this. God says, what I want you to do is when you produce your crops, I want you to always keep in mind that there is the poor and the destitute among you, and they need to be provided for. And the way that I want you to provide for them is this. When you go to harvest your field, don't you go over it twice. Just once. And whatever's left, leave it. And leave the corners of your field. Don't touch those corners. Those are for those that are poor and destitute because they are at the very center of my heart. I will take care of them. I will provide for them. And so he, Ruth does that. She's there. She happens to be in the field of, of Boaz. And then she comes home and she tells Naomi what happened and, 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 and look at uh, verse 19 of chapter 2. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he take notice of you. May he who take notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Now look at Naomi's Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. 
Naomi is seeing that God is going to provide for them. Not just for their physical needs, but much, much broader than that. And let me tell you something. I'm not telling you this just because I'm reading it here in these verses. I'm telling you that God is a God who provides because I have seen it in my life. I have seen where God has come through in times of need. Maybe not the way you want Him to do. Maybe not the way I want Him to do. But He always provides when there's a need. I'll never forget 1979 when my mom and dad got a divorce. We had nothing. Zip. Zero. We didn't have it. Well, not we. I was just nine years old. But my mom didn't have a car. She didn't have a job. And she didn't even have a place to stay. And it was my mom with just us three boys. That's it. Thankfully for my grandmother, Salvo, she allowed us to move right into their home. And I watched my grandmother pray to this God. And I said, well, if she can do it, I can too. And I said to God, God, there are three things that we need. My mom needs a job. She needs a car. She needs a place to stay. And I watched God provide every one of those things. She got hired on at Greenwood Mills as a security officer. Then she was able to go down to the car lot and buy a used light blue Ford Pinto. By the way, it was the car that I got when I turned 15 and got my driver's license. And you should see me when I was taking it downtown. I even got me a sign on the front and it had super stud on it. And a light blue Ford Pinto. You couldn't tell me anything except all the girls were like, uh, And then he provided a 60-foot, single-wide, three-foot trailer that we moved in the time we fell apart in the building. Don't tell me God doesn't provide. He's in your life. And guess what? God says, now, I'm bringing you full circle. Because now I want you to show it to your daughters. And guess where we're at right now? My children's grandparents. Been in Ohio for eight years and God says, I want you to leave. You want me to what? You want me to give up what I love to do and move in with my in-laws, which I love to death. I'm so thankful that I... Did I tell you that? How much I love David and Carol Bowser. I love them. They've been so hospitable to me. With my family. Never be able to repay them for what they've done. But we moved here without a place to stay except staying with them. And without a job. We do have two vehicles. But the premise is this, and I tell my girls this. God will provide. He is going to take care of us, and I will be that living example to show my kids what God has already done in my life so that they can take that lesson with them, that even in your time of need, God will provide. Maybe not what you want and the way you want it and when you want it, but He'll do it in His time. I promise you that. And if Ruth was here, that's what she would tell you. She would also tell me that I don't have but a few more minutes of 
is this. Ruth would say to you and me, through your story, through your story, God's going to display and demonstrate His goodness. Now I wish we had time. And I definitely don't want to get into chapter 3. Because uh, at first glance at chapter 3, you would think, wow, this is kind of scandalous. Naomi sort of sends Ruth on a rendezvous. She becomes a matchmaker. Long before uh, the matchmaking internet sites that you see, you know, I uh, can't think of some of the names because I've never been on them and don't want to be on them. But, uh, but, but, but Naomi's becoming a, a matchmaker. She's going to set up this time between Boaz and Ruth. And so she sends Ruth on this excursion. She says, Ruth, I want you to, to, to wash yourself. And, and I want you to get yourself all ready. And I want you to go down to the threshing floor. And I want you to watch Boaz as he separates the, the, the chaff and the wheat. He's, he's working. And when he lays down to go to sleep, I, I want you to slide up next to his feet and lay down there next to him. Now, first read, that's kind of uh, scandalous. But I, 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 I don't think anywhere in Scripture... This is in any way an impropriety to do this. I think what Ruth is basically doing is she is proposing marriage to Ruth, to, to Boaz. Because whenever Boaz, who's asleep, uh, stirs, can you imagine stirring and waking up in the night and, and, and looking down and, and there's a woman at your feet and, 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 and Ruth looks up at Boaz and says, spread your says, uh, I would love to do that, but I think there's a near kinsman, a, a near, in the Hebrew, goel, a, a near redeemer, someone who can redeem the property of Elimelech, someone who can take care of Naomi, someone else that is much closer a relative than I. I will see if he will take care of you. If not, then I will do it. And that's where we come to chapter 4. Look at verse 6. When Boaz, or verse 5, Boaz, he said to this near kinsman, On the day that you buy the field from Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. Now look at what the closest relative said. I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have the right of redemption. I cannot redeem it. You know why he's not going to, be, to take this offer on? I, I failed to mention this. But look there in verse 5. Look what Ruth is called. Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth's name is mentioned 12 times in the book of Ruth. Five of those 12 times she is called Ruth the Moabitess. You know what a Moabitess is? It's a descendant of Moab. Do you know where Moab came from? Moab in the Hebrew means from father, from the father. You all go all the way back to Genesis whenever Lot is uh, encouraged by these angels to flee Sodom and Gomorrah. And when they make their ways to the hills after Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, uh, he has an ancestral relationship with his daughters. And their 
children are known as Ammon and Moab. She's a Moabitess, descendant of an ancestral relationship, and later becomes enemies of the people of Israel. So much so that God says in Deuteronomy 25 that a Moabite has no business in the temple. They are barred from the synagogue, barred from the temple, barred from the tabernacle. They cannot come near the place of worship. This closest relative doesn't want anything to do with that. But Boaz says, woman with, with all of these twists and turns and all of this negative um, uh, uh, influence in her life and, 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 and whereas other people would say we don't want anything to do with you Boaz pictures God who says I will take those that are unloved and unwanted and I will embrace them and I will bring them into my family because as we see at the end of chapter 4 after they are married Boaz, verse 13, took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. May his name be famous in Israel. May he who also was to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is much better to you than seven sons and has given birth to you. And then here's this genealogy again where we find out that the child from Boaz and Ruth will become a, 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 a forefather of the king of David. See it here? Verse uh, 18. Now the generations of Perez. To Perez was born to Hezron, and to Hezron was born to Ram. And to Ram, Aminadab, and Aminadab was born to Nashon, Nashon, Salmon. Salmon was born to Boaz, and to Boaz was Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. The child that Boaz and Ruth was going to have was going to be the great-grandfather in David. God took this life of Ruth the Moabitess, and he incorporated it right into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. story of Ruth to, to make a bigger plan and to show each one of us that we are loved. And because of God's grace, we are welcomed into His name. You know, I, real quick, uh, and, um, I'll, I'll end here. You know, this is my imagination. And just, 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 just take this through for me. You know what Matthew was thinking when he wrote this genealogy down? I wonder what he was thinking when he came to the name Ruth. What was Matthew? Tax collector. Do you know 
have tax collection for you in the day of Jesus? Bottom of the bag. Do you know that according to rabbinic teaching, tax collectors were barred from worshiping in the temple? Just like me. But Jesus saw this tax collector called Matthew. And he walks up to him while he's at the table. You know what Jesus says to him? I want your skeleton in my bed. You know what? We're all skeletons. We're all skeletons. None of us deserves to be in the family. Because of his word, he says, I want you to use you. I want to use your story. And I want to put it in my family. So that when people look at you and your life and everything that's taking place, they'll see my hand. They'll see my grace. So this is where I want to leave it. Allow Jesus to use your story for him. Would you stand with me as we pray together? conclude our time. Father, I want to thank you so much for this word, this particular section of scripture where we begin to see the life of Ruth and, 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 and how you took this woman who was an outcast, someone who was barred from the assembly of God, someone as this closest relative done would have discarded and rejected and left her alone. But Father, I'm so glad that just as Boaz said, no, I'm going to take her, I'm going to redeem her, I'm going to buy her, you have done the same thing with us. I'm so glad that I'm able to stand here with the rest of the skeletons of Christ's closet because it's through your grace that you have reached down and touched our lives and you have said, you want us to be a part of your family. And Father, if there's someone that is here right now that has never made that decision, I pray that Ruth would be imprinted on his or her heart and they would see they are never too far from the Lord. He is always near and he has provided. He has provided the greatest gift ever. And he is much more than uh, he's much more interested in meeting physical needs. He's more interested in meeting spiritual needs. And if that person, Father, has never trusted Christ, I pray that right now they'll make that decision to follow Him, trust in His death, burial, and resurrection as their redemption, because He is here to redeem the five them. May we never forget what You have done for us. And may we 